Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. I read a story this week of a new resident to the community who was walking down the street and noticed a man struggling with a washing machine in the doorway of a house. And so when the newcomer volunteered to help, the homeowner was overjoyed. The two men began working on the bulky appliance, one from the inside of the house, the other from the outside of the house on the porch. After several minutes of fruitless effort, the two stopped and just stared at each other in frustration. They looked as though they were totally on the verge of exhaustion. Finally, when they had caught their breath, the first man said to the homeowner, we'll never get this washing machine in there. To which the homeowner replied, in, I'm trying to go out. (laughs) They had a little bit of a misunderstanding, miscommunication. Well, when we come to Jonah chapter 4, that's what we see happening between Jonah and God is a misunderstanding. And as we're going to see, the problem is with Jonah, obviously not with God. But as we've been going through this, this study, as we've been going through this book, the book of Jonah, we've seen a lot of different twists and turns, haven't we? I mean, we've seen the rebellion of Jonah, Jonah running from God. We have seen God in pursuit of Jonah. We have seen Jonah's continued rebellion and God's continued pursuit. Finally, we see Jonah's submission. And then we saw last week Jonah's obedience. But when we come to this week, we it kind of takes another turn again. We've seen what Jonah has been going through and how God is in pursuit of him. And just that's kind of the theme through this. You see the title, God in Pursuit. Because what we've been trying to see through this is that God is always in pursuit of us when we are rebelling against him. And so I've been challenging you each week. Look at your life. Look at your heart. Where are you rebelling against God? Then understand that God is in pursuit of you and you can never outrun God's grace. You can never get to the place in your life where you have gone too far, where God's grace cannot rescue you. See, the proper response to understanding that God is in pursuit of us is submission. And when we are truly submitted, we will live in obedience. Well, chapter 4 is all about this change in Jonah. If we had ended the book in chapter 3, we would have seen the obedience of Jonah and we would have thought that everything was good. Well, in chapter 4, things aren't really as good as they seemed in chapter 3. We're going to see another twist in the story. Chapter 4 is all about Jonah's response to God forgiving the people of Nineveh and then how God responds back to Jonah. If you have your bulletin on the very back as an outline, I'm going to give you seven truths from Jonah 4. Seven truths from Jonah 4. Some of these are things that we can kind of see from the story. And then some of these are things that we can apply very directly to our lives. But I want to begin by reading, starting in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. And I want you to kind of catch, I want us to kind of be aware again of how chapter 3 ended so that we'll see the twist at the beginning of chapter 4. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10 says this. Then God saw their actions. That they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them. And he did not do it. Chapter 4 verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. Now you would think. After everything that Jonah had gone through. 
that he would look now and say, you know what, God is using me in a great way. Why was he so furious? I mean, why in the world was Jonah so angry? He had every reason to be happy. God had worked through him and thousands of people had turned to God. In this city of over a million people, even the king repented and turned to God and gave a decree that everyone in Nineveh should worship the one true God. They were in sackcloth and ashes, this demonstration of this true humility and mourning over their sin. Why was he so angry? Why was Jonah so mad? God had worked through him. God had delivered him from the belly of a fish. God had delivered him from death in the storm. God had worked through him, perhaps as he has not worked through many people throughout history. Why was he so angry? Well, chapter 3, verse 10 is the reason. In chapter 3, verse 10, as Jonah had been going through preaching to the people of Nineveh, the people responded, they repented, and God forgave, and God showed grace, and God showed mercy. That is not what Jonah wanted to happen. Now, I want to give you a couple of truths, your first two points from just those couple of verses that we read to kind of help us put this in perspective. Here's number one. Jonah's complaint was provoked by the same mercy that inspired his earlier praise. Jonah's complaint was provoked by the same mercy that inspired his earlier praise. This complaint that Jonah has, this anger that Jonah has, is kind of motivated by the mercy, provoked by the mercy of God. I mean, he looked at this city, he looked at this town, over a million people. They were turning to God, they were repenting, they were getting their lives right, so to speak. And Jonah saw that, he saw the mercy of God. In his mind, he was thinking, they don't deserve God's mercy, they deserve God's wrath. He did not want them to experience the forgiveness of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. But what is interesting is back in chapter 2, verse 5 through verse 8, Jonah himself experienced that same mercy of God. See, the mercy of God that provoked this anger earlier in chapter 2 provoked his praise. You know what Jonah's problem was? He was fine being the recipient of God's mercy But he did not want his enemies to be the recipient of God's mercy. He was fine receiving God's grace and receiving God's forgiveness. But he did not want his enemies to receive God's grace and God's forgiveness. Building on that, let me give you the second truth this morning. And it is this. The event that calmed God's wrath is the same event event that provoked Jonas. So what is it that calmed the wrath of God? Because God had given Jonah a message to say, in 40 days I am going to destroy Nineveh. He was going to pour his wrath on the city. What is it that calmed his wrath? Well, it was the people's repentance. It was the fact that they acknowledged they were wrong and they turned from their sin. They began worshiping the true God. Their repentance and their, their seeking of forgiveness calmed God's wrath. But the event that calmed the wrath of God is the exact same event that provoked the wrath and the anger in the life of Jonah. Both of them, God and Jonah, were looking at the exact same event, the people repenting. Both of them were looking at the exact same set of circumstances in the exact same situation. God responded by lessening his wrath, forgiving. Jonah responded by increasing his wrath. And here's... An important point that I don't want us to miss this morning. This is common sense, but we overlook it. Anytime you and God are looking at the exact same situation, the exact same event, the exact same circumstances, and your response is different than God's, guess who is wrong? You and me, right? Now, we know this. 
But we're looking at Jonah. Jonah is looking at the exact same thing God is. God is granting mercy and grace and forgiveness. And Jonah's mad. And not as, he's just mad. Look at, I mean, if you look at verse 1. It says that he became furious. See, they were looking at the exact same circumstance, but Jonah's response was different. Let's be reminded of the truth this morning that there are times in our lives where we are tempted to look at a circumstance and respond differently than God. And what we have to remember and what we need to be reminded of this morning is anytime our response is different than God's, our heart is different than God's, our attitude is different than God's, we are the ones that are wrong. If God is compassionate and we are angry, we are wrong. If you are laughing at sin and God is mourning at sin, your response is wrong. If you are tolerating something that God is condemning, it is you that is wrong. If you are longing for destruction and God is longing for salvation, it is you that is wrong. Our desire should be to understand the response of God. See his heart. See his attitude. See how he's looking and feeling about something. See how he responds and then follow his example. We cannot be tricked to kind of sliding into this position where we see God's response and we think it is okay for us to view it differently. Because if we are viewing something and responding something differently than God is, again I ask you, who is in the wrong? We are. We are. The event that calmed God's wrath is the same event that provoked Jonas. Let's seek to understand God's heart and God's response and then follow that example, regardless of what situation we find ourselves. But here's the question I have. Why was Jonah's response so different than God's? I mean, why were they both looking at the exact same thing? And why was Jonah responding with, with anger and God is responding with grace? Why the difference? Well, I think the answer in part can be seen in their third truth this morning. Here's number three. Jonah had a problem with God's loving character being experienced by his enemies. He was fine with him receiving God's grace. He didn't want God's enemies to receive God's grace. He was fine experiencing God's forgiveness. He didn't want the other nations to experience God's forgiveness. He had a problem with God's character. Chapter 4 of Jonah, look at verse 2 with me. I want you to notice as I read this all the times that Jonah acknowledges truth about who God is. His problem was not that he did not know the right thing. Notice verse 2. He prayed to the Lord. Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew, here's what he says about God. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. Everything he said about God is exactly true, isn't it? God is merciful and forgiving and slow to anger and he, 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 he is merciful. Everything he said was true. The problem with Jonah is not that he did not know truth. The problem with Jonah was that there was a disconnect between his mind and his heart. And that can happen to us. We can get to this place where we know all of the truth and we can say all of the right things and we can look to God and we can communicate who God is and what God is like and what God's plans are and what God's desires are. We can know the character of God, but when there is a disconnect between our head and our heart, it causes us to respond incorrectly. Jonah knew everything right about God, but he did not want his enemies to experience the mercy and the compassion and the love of God. And if we wanted to summarize it this way, Jonah did not like God being God. That was his problem. He wanted to pick and choose who God could love 
and who God could forgive and who God could show mercy to. But in Romans, Paul says about God that he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. Jonah was fine with God being merciful as Jonah, as long as Jonah approved of those who were to receive that mercy. Remember, Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. To them, he hated their, he hated their culture, their religion, their race. He hated everything about them. He wanted them to experience the wrath of God, not the mercy of God. This mindset is really a, a entitlement mindset. And we may not respond exactly the way Jonah. We may not be as blatant. We've become a lot better at hiding this in our own hearts and our own lives. But let me kind of tell you what this looks like for believers today. In essence, Jonah was fine with his people praising and worshiping God and experiencing the grace and the mercy of God. But he did not want that to extend to others outside of his circle. See, for us, here's how we do this very practically. It's a lot more subtle. See, when we come to church and we sing to God and we praise God and we worship God and we, we say that we, we want others to know about him, but then when we leave, never telling anybody else about him, never desiring for other people in our community to know him, never living in a way for, so that our lost coworkers and lost neighbors understand that, that God is a God who desires all to be saved, what we are essentially saying is we want to come together inside this building and worship and praise, but we're not really all that interested in other people outside of this building truly knowing and worshiping God. I mean, practically, isn't that what we're saying? See, when we, when we operate in a way that says we're only interested with us worshiping and us praising, but we're not interested in living in a way so that other people can worship and praise, we're basically saying the exact same thing as Jonah. We're just hiding it a lot better. As a church, when we make decisions and the sole thought, the sole concern is how those decisions affect only the people who are already here and no thought is given to how those decisions affect our ability to reach other people with the gospel, we're basically saying we don't care. As long as we can come and worship and we can come and sing and we can come and praise, we're good. That's what Jonah is saying. He's saying, I'm fine with the nation of Israel coming and praising. I'm fine with the nation of Israel receiving the grace of God and the mercy of God. I am not interested in living in a way and operating in a way to where everyone else can do the same. See, the truth is we are all deserving of God's wrath, whether you're sitting in here or anywhere else in Charleston County or Berkeley County. We're all deserving of God's wrath. Amen. And if we for a moment, like Jonah, begin to think that we are more deserving than anyone else, we slip into the trap of living in a way that says it's all about me. And what we're going to see in the life of Jonah is God kind of blows that mentality up completely. Some of Jonah's problem, I think, is in this fourth point. And I just want to give you this point for a kind of a historical perspective. Jonah misunderstood Israel's role among the nations. See, God chose Israel to be his chosen people out of his sovereignty. It was not because Israel was good or because they were more likable than other nations. It was purely God's choice. But there were certain things that Israel was supposed to do. And I think Jonah lost sight of this. There were certain responsibilities that they had. If you've ever read through Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you'll read through those all the time, don't you? 
you ever read through those books, you see all the commands of God and the ceremonies that they had to go through and the purifications that they had to go through. 613 commands were contained in the Old Testament law that the nation of Israel was required to keep. But the question is, why did God give him the, give them those 613 commands? Well, the, the idea was that Israel was to be distinct. That they were to live in a way and worship in a way and operate in a way and, and praise God in a way that demonstrated to all of the Gentile nations, all of the surrounding nations, that there was something different about their God. That they were separate, that they were called out. And in how they lived and in how they operated and how they worshipped and, and how distinctly they lived, the other nations were supposed to be able to look at the nation of Israel and see that their God was different. And they would come and they would ultimately fall down and worship and praise the true God instead of all of the false gods, instead of all of the false idols that so many of them worshipped. They were to be distinct. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. Let me read you some verses. Psalm 46:10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 67:2. That your way may be known upon earth. Your saving health among all nations. Psalm 57:9. I will praise you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto you among the nations. Psalm 96:3. Declare His glory among the heathen. His wonders among all people. Psalm 108:3. I will praise you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises unto you among the nations. Isaiah 66:18. I know their works and their thoughts. It shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. Ezekiel 16:14. And your renown went forth among all people. Malachi 1.11, from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. First Chronicles 16.23, sing unto the Lord all the earth, show forth from day to day his salvation, declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. Are we starting to get the point? God is concerned with the nations. See, Jonah was, had got to the place where he was only focused on him and his people. He lost sight of the fact that God's plan was for Israel to live and operate in a way so that all people would know that he was the true God. Many times in our own lives, we can lose sight of the fact that God has called us to be a light in a dark world. He has called us to be salt. He has called us to be a witness. We can forget that he has given us this great commission that commands us to go and make disciples of all peoples. Jonah had forgotten this. Many times we forget. We are not called out simply to come and gather just us and sing and praise. That's part of it. But we are to come and to worship and to praise and then live in such a way so that other people around us can look at our life and say there's something different about their God. He has changed them. Which begs the question, are you living in such a way to where other people can look at you and they can respond by saying there is something different about their God? Or like Jonah, have you got to the place in your life where you're only concerned with you and you're only concerned with your church that you have no heart, no desire for other people to worship and praise the true God of the universe? Jonah had started thinking that God was only for them. Let me give you number five. The reality of Jonah's heart was clearly demonstrated. This is a very practical point for us this morning. But in chapter three, we saw Jonah's obedience, didn't we? If you were here last week, you saw Jonah finally going where God told him to go, doing what God told him to do, delivering the message that God told him to deliver. And if we stopped at the end of chapter three, it would appear that everything was great. 
Jonah's finally submitted to God and he's finally obeying. But what we see in chapter 4 is the heart behind the obedience. You know it is possible for us to do the right thing and have a bad attitude about it? You know it's possible for us to go through the motions of obedience but our heart be wicked? I want you to see Jonah's heart. Jonah, Jonah has a pity party. It's basically what happens. But in this, we see the reality of his heart. So we saw at verse 1 that Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. Now look at verse 3. Notice what he says in verse 3. And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So here's what he's saying. God, I did not want you to deliver and forgive and show mercy to Nineveh. I wanted you to destroy them. So here, God, here's my, here's my ultimatum. You destroy them or you destroy me. That is basically what he is saying. Look what he does in verse 4. The, verse 3, now the Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord asks, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and sat down east of it and made himself a shelter there and sat in the shade to see what would happen to the city. You know what he's saying? God, destroy me or destroy them. And then he goes and sits down and says, I'm going to see which one happens first. I mean, do you see the, the attitude of Jonah? Do you see the kind of the, the response that he's having? It's better for me to die. God, if you're not going to destroy Nineveh, destroy me. God, if you're going to show them mercy, then just take my life because that is not what I want. See, in chapter 3, we saw the obedience. In chapter 4, we see the heart behind the obedience. And the heart is wicked. See, it is very easy and possible for you and I to come and we go through the motions of obedience and we go through the motions of worship and we go through the motions of praise. We go through the motions of doing what we believe that God wants us to do. But deep down, our heart is far from God. We can, we can listen to what Jonah says. We can look at Jonah. We see that he is calling on everything he said about God was true. He did what God told him to do. He said what God told him to say. But now that God responds differently than what Jonah expected, Jonah doesn't like it. He wants no part of it. And it all indicates the truth that Jonah's heart was far from God. I have no doubt that there are people in churches all across the country this morning right now who are going through the motions of obedience, but their heart is far from God. God. And just like in the book of Jonah, in the life of Jonah, there came a time where his heart was clearly seen. There always comes a time in our lives where the reality of our heart becomes evident to all. There comes a time in our lives where the bottom falls out and we, we start looking at life and it's not going the way that we wanted and we're not happy with the outcome. We're not happy with this decision, that decision. We're not happy with how God is blessing other people. And it is in those moments where things are not going the way that we wanted, the way that we expected, that the reality of our heart becomes evident. You can only fool people through your actions so long. Eventually your heart will be seen. For the book of, for the life of Jonah, if it ended in chapter 3, we would all walk away thinking Jonah finally got everything right. But there came a chapter 4. And if you're banking on just living in chapter 3, understand there will come a chapter 4 where things will happen. God will do something that's a little different than what you expect. God will allow something that's different than what you want. He will allow something or even bring something into your life at times that is uncomfortable. His pursuit of you is relentless. And it's in those moments where God is pursuing, where your heart is far from Him, that that will become evident. His actions were obedient, but His heart was self-centered. His actions look good 
but his heart was still wrong. And it is possible for you and I, all of us, for our actions to be right, for technically for us to be able to say that we are obeying God, but our heart be far from him. And in Jonah's life, his heart was far from God. Let me give you number six, very briefly. I just want to mention this. We know this, but we need to be reminded. God does not need our permission to bless others. And that's really what Jonah was saying. God, I'm not, I'm not good with this. You didn't check with me first like God needed to. Let me just remind us briefly that God does not need our permission to bless others. God chooses to bless the people of Nineveh with forgiveness. That's God's right. He is God. We are not. Let's bring this a little closer to home for a second. I I doubt there's anyone here this morning who is honestly standing up and saying, I don't want God to save these people. But how do you respond when you get passed over for a promotion? I mean, you're the one, you're expecting it, you deserve it, you're next in line for it. But somebody else gets it. What's your response to that? What's your response when somebody else gets the blessing and you don't? I mean, we can sit back and we can wonder, God, why is my air conditioner breaking? Why is my car breaking down? Why are they getting all the blessings? Why is everything good happening to them? Why is this never happening to me? And in essence, what we're saying is, God, you did not check with me first. We respond the exact same way as Jonah, but we look at our lives, we look at the people around us, and we think that God has to operate a certain way, and so he's going to bless me, and nothing bad is going to happen in my life. But then when it good starts happening to other people, or bad starts happening to us, we start pointing the finger at God and say, God, this is not fair. And in essence, we are acting just like Jonah. We're saying, God, you did not seek my permission. And we need to be reminded that God does not need our permission to bless other people. He is God. We are not. Let me give you number seven. I think this is a great way to end. We need to understand, number seven, that God is always in control. I want to read the rest of chapter four. What happens really starting in verse five through the end of the chapter is God uses Jonah as an object lesson. He allows things to happen to him. To kind of wake Jonah up and to see the reality of what he is saying. But so follow along with me as I start reading in verse 5. Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Notice this, verse 6. Then the Lord appointed a plant and it grew to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. You see the grace of God even to Jonah here? To ease his discomfort. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. Said that like three times now, hadn't he? Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, he replied, it is right. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, here's here's the point of this. You cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right hand or their left, as well as many animals? I want you to notice several words that appear through this. Look at verse 6. Then the Lord God appointed 
a plant. Remember this point. God is always in control. God appointed a plant. Look at verse 7. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm. Verse 8. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. In chapter 1, verse 4. Then the Lord hurled a violent storm. So who is in charge of the storm? God, you skip all the way down to verse 7 of chapter 1. Now the Lord had appointed a huge fish. Chapter 2, verse 10. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What's the theme in all of those verses? God is in control. Jonah was rebelling, but Jonah's rebellion did not mean God was not in control. God used Jonah despite of his rebellion. See, God's plan is to work in you and through you and in our church and through our church. But when we rebel against God, it does not mean God is no longer going to work. It simply means that God is going to work around us to accomplish his purpose. If you remember back to chapter 1 at the beginning, when the, when the storm comes in chapter 1, it's God's pursuit of Jonah. The storm comes. And as the storm comes, the sailors are terrified and they're each praying to their own God. But by the end, when they throw Jonah overboard and the storm stops, do you remember what the response of the sailors were? They worshipped the true God. Jonah's rebellion did not alter God's plan and God's purpose of redemption. Here's what I want us to understand. God's desires for people to know him. God's desires that people worship him. God's desires that people give their life to him, that people turn to him in salvation. And his plan is to work in you and through you and in our church and through our church. But if we live in rebellion to God, he will still work. But it will be around us instead of through us. See, my heart, my desire is for God to work through us. It's for God to use us. It's for God to make a difference in this, in this community and in this state, in this country, because of us and through us and to utilize us. But if we are living in rebellion, then God will work around us. And the only way that you and I and this church can be a church and people that God uses is if when you and I as individuals refuse to rebel. It's when we look to God and we submit to him and we live in obedience to him, but not in a fake obedience with a heart that is far from him, but in true obedience with a heart that is pursuing him. So the challenge this morning is simple. Will you do an inventory of your heart? I mean, you're here this morning, and I'm assuming you're here this morning out of a desire to worship God, out of a desire to praise God. But I also know it is possible to do the right thing with the wrong motives and with the wrong heart. See, Jonah is living in resentment to God in chapter 4. And if we learn anything from this, here's here's what it is. Throughout this book, summary of the book, when we rebel against God, God pursues. We should be thankful for the pursuit of God. It is motivated by his love. And when we are stubborn in our rebellion, God is stubborn in his pursuit. And when we finally submit to God, he will accept us and he will forgive us and he will be merciful to us. And he is a God of second chances. He will still use us. And when we truly submit to God, that submission will be proven through our obedience. But what God desires is obedience with a sincere heart. And there may be some of you here this morning that you're obeying and you're going through the right motions and you're doing the right things. But your heart is far from God. And this morning, 
understand God is in control. He wants to use you and he sees the reality of your heart. And some of us this morning may need to confess to God, God, forgive my wicked heart. Obedience is not enough if our heart is not right. Obey him with a pure heart. Will you stand with me this morning? Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.